This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio by David Moore. And joining us on the phone, our our friendly neighborhood uh, uh, serviceman, Evan Grant, who is is filling uh, gas uh, somewhere. Regular? Uh, (laughs) That's right. Supreme? You you didn't even check oil for you there? What was the input today? Is this Kevin and David? Evan, what the heck are you doing anyway? Aren't you guys precious? Did you, you have 10 per, 10% ethanol in what you put in, or was it was it pure? Evan, Evan is 10% ethanol, maybe a lot more than that. <laughs> maybe, about, maybe about 70%. I think he's putting 10% ethanol in right now. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Corn starch. I've, always got, I've always got gas, but I was filling up with some fuel. Oh, no. Okay. Thanks for that joke. I guess we set that up. Uh, so, Evan, uh, the, the Rangers are coming back from just killing Baltimore. I'm saying that after that series against Baltimore that this team is going all the way. They're just kind of running out of time, Kevin. Oh, all the that, way to the offseason. Is, yeah. is that the problem? If they played another 50 games, do you think they'd be okay? If they were against Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Boy, you know, that's a, and that's a city that's had some great baseball. That must be going over pretty poorly there in Baltimore, isn't it? It's, it's sad to watch. I was, um, you know, when I first, I guess, gained sports consciousness in 1970-71 and the Orioles were at the height of their, of their greatness, um, maybe the most memorable picture I have is this, this picture from the World Series of Brooks Robinson leaping, um, kind of like skipping, leaping from third base to the mound, and that's up in um, a, a print of that is up in one of the hallways in the press box in uh, in Baltimore. And so you walk by that, and you walk by the Brooks Robinson statue outside the park, and if you're of a certain age, you know they the Orioles were a paragon of how you build a baseball team. And to see what they've fallen upon, um, and in a park that's still really gorgeous, uh, yeah, it is kind of sad because um, it, it it is a club in disrepair. They're they're having their second consecutive hundred loss season. Haven't done that since they were since the last year in St. Louis when they were the Browns and, and moved to uh, moved to Baltimore in '53 and '54. So it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's a sad sight. So, as opposed to in uh, Rangerland, where the Rangers are, uh, have a shot, as you wrote the other day, uh, of uh, finishing this season 500. Yes, I wrote that on Sunday after they swept Baltimore in four games and moved within a game of 500. 
And by the time the column had been into the office and disseminated to the great majority of people that, hey, the Rangers have something significant to play for, 500, the defending world champions had fired their general manager. So, Yeah, how about that? Uh, different, <laughs> different markets, different, different uh, expectations, I guess. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit because Dave Dombrowski was fired by the Red Sox a year after they won the World Series. <laughs> Uh, and he's fired the next year, and and their record. How many games? Three straight division titles, two, right? Uh, that might be right. Yeah, and then, uh, four, I think, four straight division titles. And uh, and also, um, they're they're only about what three or four games better in the standings than the Rangers are. Does that, um, does that sound right? Uh, this weekend, I believe they were. Well, going into the Yankee series, I know they were at least ten games above five hundred. I think they're um, six over or something like that. Yeah, they got. I think they got swept by the Yankees, right, over the weekend. Uh, that might be um, right. Yeah, that might be right. But that... uh, and you know, it's it's been a disappointing year for them, and they've had some injuries. But I, I think that the situation with Dombrowski. Listen, I, I I've known David for for twenty five years. I, I, this was the first GM I dealt with on an everyday basis in Florida. Um, he's a Hall of Fame executive. Um, but he's also he can also be hard on his people, you know, and and that can wear some people down. Um, and I think that that certainly plays a role in some of this. But Boston's a different it, it, it's a different town and a different market. Um, I think I related this story to you guys this summer that you know we were up there with uh, with the Rangers in in June as the Stanley Cup Finals were, were being played, and it was Game 7 of the Finals, and WEI, an hour before the game, is kind of blaring in the in the press box um, common areas, and the talk show uh, hosts are debating whether or not that if the Bruins lose to St. Louis in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, if this season has, quote-unquote, been a failure. Um, right. So um, it, it's, a, it's a hard, hard market. And the, or the the Red Sox are facing an awful lot of tough decisions. They, they are a club that has extended their window by by continuing to push in chips, continuing to buy free agents. They're over the luxury tax threshold. Their farm system is probably one of the three or four worst in baseball right now. And so they're they're either going to be faced with this idea of several years of of rebuilding here in the not too distant future or being willing to continue to pay really exorbitant luxury tax um, threshold uh, penalties. So well, that's it's going to be a tough, it, it's a tough deal for the rest. Well, that's what they're going to do. I mean, and that's the interesting thing about it is because Dave Dombrowski is kind of a a slash and burn kind of guy. He's not a builder. He's a guy who goes out and, and uh, makes big acquisitions and uh, and tries to. Turn- Which is what he's become in the latter half of his career. I mean, if you look back to where he started. You know, in Montreal, I mean, this guy built an organization that should have been uh, the team of the '90s there. Um, but as as and in Florida, he was hired to be the expansion general manager. And what he did there was he started a, a slow five-year program. Ownership got antsy. They said, "Go ahead and, and get us a world championship." And he went out and spent like a. A, a, a demon, and they did win a world championship, and then they tore it down the next year. So, um, I, 
I think what it says most about Dave Dombrowski now is that there's some question as to whether or not at 63, whether or not Dave, who was once considered a cutting-edge GM, is any longer on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, speaks to how fast baseball has, has evolved in terms of, of the way things are being evaluated. Yeah, I, and I don't know him well enough to know that. And you're right. I think that's that. That is the issue in baseball, and uh, and of course, I think a lot of fans uh, in this market would say, uh, and at least the people who write me would say, boy, if Boston's firing their guy a year after he wins the World Series, the Rangers still have their guy seven years after they lost one. So, uh, and, 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 I'm, and you get all that uh, feedback as well, Evan. But the 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 great point that you just made about how fast baseball is evolving, and I was talking about this with uh, with uh, one of my sons last night. Uh, it's an amazing thing to see how much everything has changed in just the last three or four years. Uh, yep. And and the and the way everyone is using the analytics now, and uh, if you're if you're not staying abreast of all of that, well then then you're hopelessly behind. Uh, and I don't know that if that's what's happened in Boston, but I would I could say that uh, John Daniels is late to the party on that, or later than he should have been. But at least they have they have started down that road now. Uh, and I think that uh, if you're going to look for for reasons why they are in the neighborhood of being a 500 team this year, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they did get on that that bandwagon at last. Well, I. I, I mean, let's put it this way. The idea there, you can apply analytics in so many different fashions in baseball. I, I, I'm coming to hate the, the term as, as, as a catch-all because it's, there's different elements to it uh, of, of how you use um, metrics and, and the data um, based on the time of year. But when it comes to roster building, uh, we can talk about how poorly the Rangers have done when it comes to developing pitching, and that is a that is an area that they, they clearly need to improve in. But if you look at the two major free agent signings they've made over the last two winters, you could make the argument that Mike Miner and Lance Lynn have been the two single best uh, pitching free agency evaluations and acquisitions over the last two years. So I do think that they have, whether whether by happenstance, or whether by the way they've applied uh, the metrics to to evaluating pitching decisions, uh, they have made some really good pitching decisions. Um, it's, it's not just the pitching decisions they're making. These these guys aren't coming in and pitching like they were before. That's the thing. You know, as, as you've written about many times this year, Lance Lynn, they came in, they, they tell him, you don't need to be throwing your fastball as much. You need to be doing this instead. And, and he's had the best year of his career. Uh, Mike Miner. And, and he, he bought in and changed his fastball, too. He was throwing more two-seamers, and now he's throwing more four-seamers, and, and that's made a difference for him. Yeah. And these, and these are the issues, you know, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not out there doing these things, and, and, and especially for hitters, if you're, everybody's got a book on you now. And, and we, we can say that in the history of baseball, there has always been a book on hitters, but not anything like it, what it is now. Right. And that is and that is why somebody this year like Arugio Odor, who always felt like you know I, I think a lot of hitters have felt like you know I'm just in a little bit of a slump now I'm going to come out of this like I always do you know like, like hitters have always had slumps they, they'll have a slump for a week or two weeks or maybe even three and a good hitter will come out of that I don't think that's necessarily the case in baseball anymore 
There is so much known about you. What you were once considered a slump is now someone has figured you out. They know what you do. They know what your tendencies are, and they are not going to throw pitches that, that you were once capitalized on with, uh, and, and what they're able to do also in shifts. And it has made it far more difficult for hitters today than it's ever been before. Well, agree, all agree. And I think that, you know, there's been some, some change on, on swing planes and, and how you want guys to, to swing the bat, and, and some guys have struggled with that. You know, in the case of Ruggie, I think it's been pretty well documented that, that clubs this year uh, attacked the high part of the strike zone, particularly when they got him, when they got ahead of him in the count, um, and they they exploited that. You know, he he could not stop himself from swinging at those pitches, and he couldn't hit those pitches. Uh, I think though, if you talk to scouts over the course of the year, he had improved somewhat in recognizing some pitches, but. His his swing and his his mechanical setup was so bad at that point in time that all he could hit were curveballs. Now he's starting to hit a few fastballs and he's looking more for fastballs um, because he has started to understand the biomechanic aspect of it. And 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 what I'm getting at here is, you know, it's not just gauging results where the analytics and the metrics are coming into play is in evaluating uh, draft picks. And I think we saw with the Rangers this year employing a draft strategy of going higher uh, or, or heavier on college guys, four-year college guys, particularly guys who came from major programs. Uh, there's some more certainty there because you've got more data, you've got more information. There's, there, there may be a little bit of a, of a lower ceiling on some of these guys, but definitely a higher floor, um, and you're you're applying analytics there, and you've got analysts uh, um, assigned to the draft. You're doing much more work with analysts in terms of biomechanic feedback, uh, and I think that's only going to improve. And I think the Rangers could create a legitimate uh, edge in that field simply because they're going into a new facility that's going to have what amounts to a biomechanics and sports science lab built right in there. Now, you mentioned, so that, the, have... you mentioned that the other day in your uh, story. You know, when I talk about what other people have written, you know, everyone just lets that go. When I refer to something I've written, everybody gives me a hard time. But I'm going to bring up the fact that you wrote that the other day, and you didn't really go into that very much, Evan. And I think maybe you should explore for people. Is John Daniels going to have a lab coat down there, and he's going to be walking around? There's white mice all over the place. I mean, what's what's going on in their little sports lab? Well, I, I think that some of that remains to be seen, and I'm sure a lot of that will be kept under under wraps. But no, John won't be down there in a in a lab coat. And I think that in some regards, the idea of a lab, the, the image that quote unquote a lab gives a lot of people, maybe maybe a little bit. Um, grander than what will actually be, but I think they will have the ability to to gauge some uh, biomechanical movements. They'll, they'll, they've got more medical personnel assigned to research now, and they've got the ability to, and I think we know this, right? This club needs very much to get a handle on, uh, on the possibility of how you prevent arm injuries because it's been an epidemic in this organization. And I think that, 
that they will have some tools available to them that, that maybe other, other teams don't have quite as centralized at this point. You know, you mentioned in that story as well, there was a guy from, uh, and I can't remember his name now, he was the coach at Tarleton State, and uh, uh, a couple of summers ago. Brian Conger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of summers ago, uh, Ford, our youngest son, was playing in a summer league, and that coach was there. And, and uh, one of the other dads was telling me that his son uh, was uh, considering going to Tarleton State, and that was one of the reasons was because – at Tarleton State, they were using a lot of this technology you're talking about, the stuff that they that they actually mm-hmm. put on your body, to, you know, that allows you to, I guess, them for them to map exactly what it is that you're doing. And I thought that was pretty phenomenal that that kind of technology was being used at a place like that. Yeah, and I, you talk to, you, I, I think one thing that that I've kind of learned this year is that, in a lot of respects, there is the feeling that college programs um, somewhat out of necessity uh, are more on the cutting edge of some stuff than, than even professional organizations are uh, because they have there's not quite the same amount of, for lack of a better term, bureaucracy from the lower levels of the minor league to the higher levels. There's not that giant monolith of an organization. Um You've got all your guys on hand there. You, you're able to get a better feel for it. You're, you know, you're able to, um, in some regards, out of out of pure necessity, uh, able to employ, employ methods or technologies that haven't necessarily been been proven out. And you know, pro pro athletes aren't going to buy into stuff if there's not something. If there's not something behind the methodology there, so uh, we're, we're finding more and more clubs going towards uh, guys with college backgrounds, and and that they are being drawn in that direction. Yeah, that's interesting uh, because you know uh, and you've been around and I've been around and David has been around long enough to know that you know there was a time that uh, the pros wanted nothing to do with anything in college programs. You know, Correct. They, they, were looked, they were going with youth and upside. But, yeah. but, but to me, I mean, it's not, it's not strictly just – I know you hate to catch all analytics and, and now that you have more numbers. I mean, to me, as you've seen the way college baseball has developed over where it is over these last 10 to 15 years, it's, it's just a philosophical – approach an organization takes of well we have more information on this college guy he's played at a level beyond what this high school guy does why wouldn't we go with the college guy i i mean i know everyone it the risk reward ratio to me is changing you can say it's analytics but to me i think teams are just going well why are we willing to take you know swing for the fences with every pick when we can let's take three four picks that are solid and, you know, certainly one of those, based on the you know, metrics, is going to be, you know, perform above his upside or what we project it to be. So, I mean, to me, I, I don't know that this is analytics as much as it's just uh, an evolving of your uh, a recognition of where college baseball is now and looking at a standard practice and saying, well, this doesn't make sense to do anymore. I mean, these guys can, can advance so much at the college level before they get up here. Why? And they had the infrastructure in place in colleges. You know, one thing you're talking about, like, 
yeah, it is surprising that, that, that Tarleton State would do this or that. But then you step back and you go, well, wait, they're at a university. Mm-hmm. They have yep. access right. to uh, all it takes is one person in, in, in a department to say, hey, let's see how this applies to sports. And you had the infrastructure right there. The, the minor right. league team in Frisco doesn't have that at their facility. Right. Well, and, and, and to your point, David, and, uh, and when they drafted, this is, you know, what we talked about then when they drafted Josh Young out of uh, Texas Tech and, and David Wins out of uh, uh, Baylor in the first round, the two-third baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Rangers have a poor track record in the first round uh, under John Daniels, and, and really for, for a long time. Uh, these guys just aren't hitting, you know, and when I mean hitting, I mean they're, they're not playing. You know, they're not yeah. moving up and advancing. And I'm sure if you got Vegas, which I'm sure they do this somewhere, but if you got Vegas to put odds on these guys, mm-hmm. they would tell you that these college guys who are 21 years old, uh, the, the odds of them getting to the big leagues and making it are better than a 17- or 18-year-old coming out of high school. Because for one thing, most of them have at least advanced three or four more years and without a, a major injury. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with the Rangers is that they draft yeah. these high school kids, and especially the pitchers. Right. Because of the talent and the upside, and the arms don't hold up. And the arms don't hold up. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or they've, you know, they've, these kids have signed with colleges, and they've already gone through their Tommy John and rehabbed it right. and mm-hmm. are once again pitching. Right. So you don't have that, like, year-and-a-half break coming up because somebody's going somebody's gonna to blow out an elbow. I think, you know, I, I, this is to me telling. So the Rangers are about to start instructional league, and they're doing their instructional league this year on two different fronts, which is new. But one group will be in Arizona right now, and that's going to be the younger guys. And a group of more advanced prospects, uh, guys who played at, like, say, high A this year, uh, and, and maybe even uh, on the cusp of double A, that group is going to go to Frisco. That group is going to do a whole lot of instructional work there, but they're going to play uh, at least three games against local colleges. They're going to play, I think they will play a game against TCU. I think Texas Tech may come in here with their fall program, and I think they've got one more game scheduled. But the point to me that was made is, you know, they're playing these guys, and they're getting a chance to play better competition than they would if they were playing other clubs, 18- and 19-year-olds, uh, in Arizona. And it speaks to how far college programs have come, particularly in those major Sunbelt conferences like the SEC, like the Big 12, like the ACC. Those are those are premier programs, and guys that come out of there are, are advanced and, and, and have played on Friday night in front of crowds of 12,000 or more. Uh, they've played in front of big, of, of big groups. So uh, between elite travel-level baseball and college programs and the amount of investment that has been made by parents into uh, these kids, uh, they're all speaking a different language than high schoolers did 10 years ago. Um they come into the they come into the minor leagues and into an organization with a different comprehension, and I think that that at the college level, these guys are getting the kind of advanced scouting reports that you get in the in, in the major leagues. They're getting the kind of, of film work and study work that, that high schoolers don't get now, and so you've got guys coming in who are 
who are more literate in the kind of system you're trying to to put in place. They're trained and disciplined in it, and then you, then you also see if they have the temperament to handle it, which you don't know a lot of times. With high, again, it's it's swung from this model where you've got to get a young phenom, you've got to identify them young, and get them there. Otherwise, you're not going to get a leg up on every other team Absolutely. in the league. And now that mentality has shifted. It seems to me. Well, there's something else Somewhat. here, and I want to kind of bring this into the the, the big league club now. But uh, as an example. You know, the Rangers have, have had a reputation of always wanting to get uh, guys with uh, really athletic guys with a high upside. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Bubba Thompson is a classic example of that. And, and, and Bubba is, has had, you know, a little up and down, but he's, he's, still, uh, he's still out there and, and the potential is still there. But if we wanted to go back even further than that for Rangers fan, Donald Harris is the classic example of the guy they took instead of Frank Thomas. But I, but right. I, what I want to talk about, you know, to me, I, I'm, it, it appears to me that the Rangers may be, uh, you know, not only by what we saw in the draft, but uh, that they may be trying to come around a little bit on this. Look at a guy like Nick Solak. Now, here's a guy that is not exactly, uh, you know, the kind of guy that looks like, oh, my gosh, look at the tools that this guy has. He's not, it's not a pretty swing. Uh, he's not a big, strong, athletic guy. Not a not a super fast guy, uh, but but here's a guy who with a very advanced approach approach as a hitter, uh, and Chris Woodward is batting him cleanup. Now I, I realize that some of the reason for that is because he's right-handed and because you know Hunter Pence has been hurt and there and the or if, even if uh, if Joey Gallo was here he'd be hitting cleanup or if Nomar Mazzara was healthy he perhaps would be, but Nick Solak is. I believe that there's that obviously it's because he is right-handed and because these other guys are hurt. I also think that Chris Woodward is trying to send a message to some of the other guys on the team that watch this guy and watch what he does and the situations he's put in and see how he succeeds with his approach. I don't know if there's – I don't know if I would say that he's trying to send a message as much as I would just say that right now I think he feels like the guys with the best approach – are Willie Calhoun and Nick Solak, and and they they come to the plate with a good idea of what they want to do. Clearly, there is an element of trying to balance out the lineup uh, to why Solak is, is is hitting in the middle of the order because he's, he's right-handed, and there is this great you know you've, you've got no Pence, you've got no Mazzara, you've got obviously no Gallo, uh, and you've got a lot of guys who are in the lineup who have underachieved this year. But I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's so much as, as, as a message to hold, uh, kind of hold things up and say, look at this guy as it is. These are just guys he, can, he feels like he can trust with, with the approach that he wants in big situations right now. They're, for lack of a better term, they're his best hitters. comes down to that. I just, I just wonder, though, if this club be, will be more amenable to that. I mean, with Willie Calhoun, I think the bigger message is that Nick Solak played some second base and Nick Solak played some third base. And as I, you know, as I wrote this morning, the Rangers have told, you know, Rugnet Odor that nothing's guaranteed. They've sent that message, right? They've, they've, sure. they've said nothing's guaranteed going forward. Uh, and uh, I, I think that every day that Solak shows up and is taking ground balls at second base and third base, I think that message gets gets underscored. And yeah, maybe there is something to, you know, Rugi hitting seventh. Uh, sixth or seventh, and, and looking up and seeing Calhoun and, and uh, Solak hitting 
uh, in the middle of a lineup, maybe there is some some motivation that he drives from that. But I, I think more than anything, where the Rangers are right now is that, and this speaks to, to, to some of the, the flaws with their hitters, that their two best hitters are Calhoun and, and Sola. Yeah, I just I guess the message I'm I'm trying to to get across here is that I think the Rangers are are taking this this purely analytical approach, you know, that they're uh, with Chris Woodward and and his staff and what they're doing. But at some point, you can present numbers all you want. If people aren't going to accept them and they aren't going to employ these numbers, uh, then I think at some point you have to make the decision you're not going to you're not going to play here anymore. And I, I don't think and that's that, what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, there was no reason. In Calhoun, an example of look, here are numbers here. We're telling you what to do. Balked at it early, took it, and yeah. now look at where he is. And in a relatively short period of time, I mean, you think of what we were saying about Willie Calhoun five months ago to now. Isn't this a dramatic difference? I think the thing about Willie, it, I always felt like he was a a good hitter. You know, a, a guy with a pretty good approach. And I think it was harder for him uh, than a guy like, oh, well, I mean, Odor is just hard-headed. But, uh, but, but Willie's looking at it like, I'm, I'm a good hitter mm-hmm. already. I got a short stroke with, mm-hmm. with power. You know, I know what I'm why doing Why are you here. tinkering? Yeah, yeah, why are you tinkering with me? And then, uh, and then, of course, he did do those things, as you said, and, and so now it's working out for him. I, I just think that, that Willie has a, a – I'm going to be nicer and just call it a more advanced approach than Ruggie does. You know, Ruggie's, Ruggie's plan is I just go up there, I see ball, I hit ball. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, what, that's what he's doing a, a lot of times. And that's what a lot of hitters do and, and, and have done. And I think it, it's, you know, there's no sense, and, and listen, I've roughed him up this year just like the fans have, but there's no sense giving up on him yet. I mean, th- this no. is the guy, first of all, you've got three years left in the contract, so you, you can't do that anyway. And secondly, it's, as well as Nick Solak has, has hit this year, I don't know that he's an every, samples, I mean, yeah, and I don't know that he's an everyday second baseman anyway. You know, you you have to ask yourself, what are we going to be giving up here defensively if we mm-hmm. if we put this guy at second base? You know, that he may cost us, you know, whatever he's bringing us in that. And I I do think that what Nick Solak looks like to me is the guy, the, the super utility guy they've been wanting all along. I don't know how many positions he can really play if he's just really a second baseman and an outfielder, but if they can, you know, he he seems to be the kind of guy. Uh, in, this, in this very small sample size, who could who could perhaps handle that kind of role? But the but the point is is that is that at some point the Rangers are going to arrive at this situation with, and maybe with a guy like Mazzara much sooner than they than they do with, with Ruggie In that you're going to have to understand what we're doing here. If you can't embrace these analytics, uh, and and as you pointed out, Evan, also the other day you had a conversation with Elvis Andrus when and basically. Uh, and this is something that, you know, when I was in Minneapolis, uh, when you were taking your hiatus there, um, and they were. Hiatus. Yeah. Who, who was on a three-week vacation recently? <laughs> it was just a two-and-a-half-week vacation. Uh, we have multiple hiatuses. Is yeah. it hiatai? Or what is it? I think that is it. One I, of his hiatai? I think that's Hades, what you're thinking of. <laughs> but the, so, so anyway, uh, and, and Elvis was talking then. He was saying, oh, you know, I, I told Rugi, you know, that he just needs to be continue to be aggressive and be who you are and be who, what got you here. And it's like, here's the problem with this club. You got the guy who's supposed to be the leader of the club, and he's reinforcing these things. Bad that, habits. Bad <laughs> habits that Rugi's doing. It's like. This is, there's a lost message here, and, and, and as you wrote the other day, Elvis basically admitted that. 
that he has done a poor job as a leader on, on this team. And, and, of course, we've also had that conversation recently about whether is Elvis really the leader you want on this team. He's a great guy, good guy to have in the clubhouse, uh, but he's really not the kind of guy who's ever going to go up to somebody and say, you need to be doing this. You know, not that you need a guy who's constantly c- confronting people in the clubhouse. Nobody wants that. No. Uh, but on occasion, you might need that. And you've got to be genuine. You've got to be true to your personality. Is it really in his personality to say, That's absolutely right. Hey, listen, Rugi, you've got to look. I love you, man, but you've got to do this differently. Right. Or are you just going to go, hey, I'm with you, man. I understand. You know, I mean, some people are just like that way. Even if they think you should do it differently, they're not going to articulate it. That's right. I I think that on on Elvis, I I think he just made a really good point there, Um, David. You know, when you talk about being true to yourself, that's something the Rangers have emphasized with Elvis. And and it's not a case where he's got to go and tell guys, what to do they've got a hitting they've got a hitting staff there what they what they want from elvis what elvis needs to do as the quote-unquote leader is simply set an example that hey i'm going to be locked in in the meetings i'm going to be locked in in my preparation i'm going to i'm going to embrace all that and everybody else can follow that example that's what guys are looking to him for they're not looking for to Elvis to be Adrian Beltre, and I think we've said from day one that, that he doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. It's not his personality, and it's not what the Rangers are asking him to do is be a policeman in the clubhouse. But if, when you're changing philosophy, everybody's going to look at the guy who's been there the longest yep. and say, "How bought in is he?" And I think Elvis. I think it's taken Elvis some time to realize that his if his body language didn't show that, uh, other guys were going to look at it and notice it, and it could have an imp- it could have an impact on how they approach them their work too. I, I think it did have an impact on it. You know, I think yeah. when you have him publicly saying, "Oh, you know, this is what he's saying to us, not just what he's saying right. to the other guys." Hey, just just be yourself. That's not a good sign. And and uh, it'd be one thing if. If there were, you know, because Elvis was one of the guys was, who was not on board with Jeff Bannister, okay? And the approach that Jeff had and, and how, how he was mercurial, let's just say that. One day is one thing and the next day is another. And it was a difficult thing to deal with. So Elvis is one of the guys who's saying that, hey, we, we need to make a change here, you know? And so a change is made. Well, you bring a new guy in, and he's a, he's a good right. guy, and he's, he's a communicator. He's the same guy every day. That's exactly what a... Everybody in the clubhouse wants. Uh, they, they want they wanted to know what's going on. Just be honest with me. Tell me yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Give me my role. Let me know what I'm supposed to be. And be the same guy every day. You know. Well, that's what Chris Woodward is. So you got all that. It's just that, oh, my gosh, he's asking me to do a lot of things here. Asking us to do a lot of things that I've never had to do before. I don't, I don't know about this, man. And, and, then, and then when the team's not winning, you know, yeah. it works when it's winning. But when the, when the team's not winning, right. that's where you all find right. out. Who's bought it? And late in the season when you're tired sure. and you're going to go back to your habits anyway, and that's the most difficult time. It's it's a lot easier mentally just to go, man, just just do you. Just get through the season. Right. You right. know, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to see where they where they go from here. Uh, Evan, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. Uh, we've got to do our Cowboys podcast here. But the uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, I've been reading some stuff lately about uh, what the Rangers would do with Mike Miner, and something was brought up uh, in one of the articles I read uh, indicating that the Rangers 
might sign Mike Miner to an extension, and then you could still trade him uh, at that point in the offseason because then he would be even more attractive to another team if he's under contract for a couple more years. Um, I don't know that I don't know you that you could sign him and trade him this winter. I think if you signed him to an extension, um, oh, he's not. A, that's not eligible to be traded until maybe the. I think he'd have to give his approval to a trade. Okay. Uh, but I, I that's a, that's a gray area. Like if you if you signed a free agent and then tried to trade him before June first, you have to get his um, his approval. Yeah. Uh, I think there might be some gray area here if you sign a guy to an extension since he's technically under contract uh, for the upcoming year. But I, I think, yeah, I think, look, there's there's several ways the Rangers could go about things. I think they're going to make a run for Garrett Cole, and I think they're going to make a run for a third baseman. Um, but I, I and, and there's certainly no guarantee that they get Garrett Cole. But if they get if they do get a guy like Cole. Yeah, you've got. You can either then trade Miner, who would still have value with a year left on his contract, or you could say, "We've got a front three that will compete with anybody with Meyer, Lynn, and and, and Cole." So, um, I, they're going to do. I think they're going to be more aggressive in free agency than we've seen them. They need to be more aggressive in free agency than we've seen them. Uh, and and there are some guys out there who could fill some real needs for them. Evan, it's been a pleasure having you on and your little uh, your little jaunt from the gas. Did you get a station. car wash too, or just just gas? <laughs> no, I just got gas today. Yeah. And, and and hopefully you finished your Chick Fil A too while you were while you were talking to us. Chick Fil A. Oh yeah, that? I munched on that while while you were pontificating. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pontificating going on here. All right, Evan Grant, it's been great having you on. Hopefully you can be back in the studio next week. It would be your First time since what? Since June that you've actually been in the studio? I won't be in the studio next week. I believe I'll be on the way to Houston at that point. Oh no! I yeah. hate that. For the last road trip of the year, but then can you can you do the show from Bucky's that. at least? <laughs> sure, we'll do a show from Bucky's. I'll, I'll, I'll do a I'll remote. Do we ought to do a remote from Beaver Bucky's. Nugget style. Hey, do do, um, do one from do one from Good Company for me. That'd be great. Okay. We like Good Company. We'll do that. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's my favorite. Um, but you guys, you guys, I just want you to have a great rest of your day. Oh, you're the best. You know that. I know. All right, <laughs> all right, Evan. We'll hang up and we'll we'll Thanks go so on. Thanks so much then for David that sincere. And, David and I will talk about you after you hang up. Adios. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's out. What's the inflection on that. Yeah, what is, he's out. Confused. Yeah, there goes Evan Grant. Uh, he, he's a he's a he's a peach, isn't he? He's a Georgia peach, as a matter of fact. I forgot to mention that. We didn't even talk about the fact that uh, I went back to his old home uh, stomping yeah. grounds uh, over the weekend. I went to – Well, uh, close. I don't know if you've been to – well, I actually was. I don't know if you've, uh, you've ever been to Clemson. I have not. Uh, well, I hadn't either. And, you know, it's not easy getting there. Let me just say that. Uh, we've Most of the people that uh, I ran into in the media – Flew into Atlanta. And drove. Then, it's and like then three drove. and a half hours or something. Well, you or? know, it said that originally, but it's only like a little over two hours. Oh, okay. Well, it's not two bad. Nah, I thought it was a little more. Not a bad drive. And, and you know, that's a beautiful campus. Uh, I've heard it is, yeah. Really nice. And, and, and of course, uh, I didn't have a media parking pass, which is how they take care of uh, us big timers. Uh, and... Uh, and so I thought, oh, no big deal. I'll just park in somebody's yard, right? Like you do everywhere. There are mm-hmm. no yards, 
around Clemson. There's there's nothing. People just park on the side of the road if you don't have a parking pass. Really? Uh, oh yeah, and it's very odd. And and so I'm 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 making my circuit and going around. I see the media. You don't really know that. You just see. Yeah, you well, go like certainly I, I can't park there. Well, yeah, that's right. I don't know how far away I am. Yeah. How, how, is it like a mile, two miles from here? Well, I don't know where it is. And so I I, I go past the media a lot and uh, and. Of course, I don't have a parking pass, so I just keep on going, and I, I try to get in another lot. They're full, and, you know, it's a mess. And so I, I pull back around a second time, and apparently the media lot guy has gone to the bathroom. So I just pulled right in and parked. So this media, uh, that's some old veteran savvy right there, <laughs> getting my parking place. But, it's a, but you know, it's a great place. Uh, they got so many great things going on there. They have, uh, uh, you know, they got the rock down there. You've mm-hmm. got the cemetery right behind you. You know, it's it's all – a lot of uh, a, a lot of character in that stadium, so it's a lot. It was a lot of fun, and it's a good fan base. Uh, a lot of fans there. I mean, uh, does it seat eighty thousand? I think uh, not a huge place, but it's big. I mean, for mm-hmm. for its day, it was big. Yeah. You know, now everybody's got a or not everybody, but they get some hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, so uh, they were all there, and they're all loud. It's a loud place, and mm-hmm. it's an open air press box, so you get all that. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. so that's very charming. It was very fun, and the Aggies actually did play. I thought played pretty well. Except for their quarterback and Except the, for the quarterback, and, yeah, yeah, that was a little that was a little iffy. So anyway, that's going to do it for our uh, our Rangers podcast. Uh, be sure to tune in on our Cowboys podcast to come. We're going to talk about that first win. Uh, you know, the Cowboys march to the Super Bowl started on Sunday. Begins. Yep, that's right. They're on their Underway. way. Here we go. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.